morning. Good morning indeed. It is a beautiful morning today and I am glad that we are able to have this time together with it to read from God's Word. I'm Michael Telercio. I'm the intern at Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. You're joining us for Walking Through the Word with Jesus one chapter per day and we're on day 411. Mark 12 today. We're making our way through the Gospel of Mark and we're getting close to the end of it. Mark is a shorter Gospel account with just 16 chapters. It's the shortest in terms of chapters, although some of the chapters are quite long. We'll see that in today's passage. There's so much packed in. We're going to need the Lord's help to work through the text in a way that is meaningful uh, and Lord willing, brief. So let's pray to him and ask him for that blessing. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've granted us another beautiful day where we can be alive uh, to hear from you, Lord, and to uh, learn about what you're like, to, to recognize who your son is, to, by your grace, conform our lives to his lordship, his kingship over us, Lord. We pray that we would be willing servants uh, to this King, Lord, ready to receive him and to live according to his will, Lord, which he has so kindly revealed to us and which itself is so good for us, Lord. Thank you so much, God, for this uh, blessing uh, to be under him. We pray that you would help us to walk through the word in a helpful way today, Lord, that um, is brief but uh, meaningful uh, for our lives. And we pray this for Jesus' glory in his name. Amen. All right, we're in Mark 12, beginning in verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables, he being Jesus. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and they him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him, and killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants, and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, 
and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, be, for the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. There's a lot in today's passage, but I think maybe two themes will help us as we walk through the text. 
hopefully in brief. The first is that of the temple being re-envisioned. And the second is that of resurrection being a reality. Uh, and the first, we see in chapter 12, verses 1 to 12, this parable that Jesus tells. And, and really it is a follow-up to what he has just done in chapter 11. If you recall, he went into the temple and he flipped over the tables and he cleansed it. Right, His cleansing of the temple was at the forefront of the chapter there, chapter 11. And it was intermingled with a curse of a fig tree that he pronounced, Jesus pronounced. And really what he's doing is he's cursing the approach and the, uh, the religion, the approach to God, the religion of the people of Israel of his day, uh, where they think that they can buy God's favor by, you know, simply just doing whatever is required of them without their hearts really being in it. Now, that was the problem with the way that the, the temple uh, was being used in chapter 11. And now Jesus is saying, really what's going on, the reason that that's happened is, is because the people, he's using this parable to, to say that the people have rejected God's foundation for the temple. Uh, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, verse 10. That's from Psalm 118. But really, that stone is the beloved son of this parable, verse 6. The people have rejected the beloved son of God. And Mark chapter 1, verse 1, tells us that Jesus is the Christ, the, the king, but he's also the son of God. So now Mark is beginning to make that clearer and clearer for us as, as we get toward the end of the book. We'll see that phrase, Son of God, used in a very uh, stark way uh, toward the end of the book. But we're seeing this theme come out actually at a few points in today's chapter. And, and what that means is that Jesus is a God's Son who is the one upon whom God's people are, are built whom we're, on whom we're founded. And verses uh, 13 to 17 really help us see that. Jesus is being approached by the Pharisees and Herodians, these two groups that would otherwise be opposed to one another, now trying to trap Jesus together. And, and they're asking him, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? No wiggle room there for Jesus. And so he calls, Jesus calls uh for somebody to bring him a denarius and so he can look at it and show them what's on it. And he says, whose likeness and inscription are this? And they say Caesar's. It's an image of Caesar and a word of that Caesar has declared. And Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But then he says, and render to God the things that are God's. And we're meant to ask, you know, if we have a coin here and it has an image on it and an inscription on it, and we're to give that to Caesar because it's his, then what are we to give to God that is his, that is God's? Well, it's, it's us. We are his image. And he has declared, he has inscribed something on us. That he owns us, that we are his. That we need to give him our lives. We ought to render to God the things that are God's, which is us. Taxes are nothing in comparison to that, to giving everything you have to God. Uh, 
That's the kind of temple worship that God desires. That's the kind of temple worship that Jesus has come to found with himself as the cornerstone. Because we are built on him. We give to God the things that are God's in him, through him, by faith in him, and only in that way. And we see a theme of temple worship in that. Uh, but we also see a theme of a resurrection in what follows in today's passage. Uh, verses 18 to 27 in particular bring this theme of resurrection to light in that the Sadducees who come to him, sort of this last remaining uh, religious group of leaders in Israel of the day that haven't already come to him. Now the Sadducees are coming to him. And we know specifically from the text that the Sadducees, verse 18, say that there's no resurrection. And so this theme of resurrection is going to be central to our understanding of what follows. They have a misunderstanding about about resurrection in general. And so the problem isn't that they don't understand who, you know, the situation with the wife and who she'll be in, you know, in the resurrection. It's that they don't believe in the resurrection at all. And Jesus exposes that and says that they are wrong. Not because of the tangentials of this argument that they're bringing or the specifics of, of what's going on in this argument, I should say, but because they don't believe in resurrection at all. And in that, as Jesus says in verse 24, they know neither the script nor the power of God. The scriptures which have been testifying to the resurrection from the beginning, from the earliest days, uh, from the earliest writings, that is. Um, and he, he makes it a point to explain just a little bit, to, to just reference that when, uh, when we die, we're not, we're neither, we neither marry nor are given in marriage, which is, which is helpful for kind of a systematic understanding of, of marriage and, and what heaven is like. But for our purposes, we just want to see that God is the God of resurrection. And that's how Jesus becomes the cornerstone. Because he is the stone that the builders rejected. But that stone becomes the cornerstone because of the resurrection power of God. That's the only way. It's like a plant that is, you know, comes from a seed. I remember a couple of years ago, my dad had a had a pumpkin that was uh, getting old and, and rotting. And instead of throwing it in the garbage, kind of in compost-like style, he just threw it into the back of his yard, back in the corner. And uh, I don't know exactly why. I don't know if he knew why. He just threw it back there and just allowed it to deteriorate. But a couple years later, two years later, he had a little pumpkin patch growing back there. Because the old pumpkin rotted away, the seed went into the earth, died, and then bore fruit. Bore pumpkins, right? And Jesus is like that. He will be the one that's rejected, but he will bear fruit. He will be the cornerstone, to use today's metaphor there. Um, he is the resurrection power. He is the resurrection and the life, as he says in John 11, right? This is just another angle of that uh, that we see as we, as we see these various facets of today's passage. And then just, just a word here about uh, the, uh, the next section with this scribe that comes up to Jesus. Now, Jesus, just a word, Jesus isn't rejecting the scribes as a whole. He doesn't reject all the Pharisees. He doesn't reject all the scribes. He doesn't reject all the elders. He rejects all of those from these groups that reject him. Actually, they reject him and thereby don't end up as part of his building, right? They choose to be part of a different building. They reject the cornerstone to go build their own building, and they don't end up as a result of his building, his true church. 
they don't want to be with him, they won't be with him, right? So he is he is not rejecting people just you know outrightly or because they're part of a particular group. And we see that with this scribe. He comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus, you know, what what is the most important commandment? And if you're looking for a summary of the law of God, it's right here. It's it's in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31. It's in a couple of the other gospels as well, but there, there you can just go right to it. Here's a summary of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and your neighbor is yourself. And, and this scribe listens to Jesus and agrees with him. This scribe agrees with Jesus' interpretation of the word. And Jesus says to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. That should be heartening for us because Jesus is so kind and so gracious, isn't he? To allow this man, who's part of this group that is trying to get Jesus killed, to allow this man to hear truth and to uphold this man's desire to know the truth of the scriptures, to, to identify that as good. So now this son of God is speaking in the temple, verse 35, and he poses this question. How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? And then he quotes from Psalm 110, which is actually the most quoted psalm in the Old Testament, uh, in the New, from the Old, in the New. And in this, Jesus is bringing it to the forefront of the, his hearers' minds that the Old Testament was really all about him. That he was there. He is the Lord to whom the Lord, Yahweh, said, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And that's that's a shocking word, even though we don't see kind of why or how. Because he is in that, in that word, he is calling those who will reject him, his enemies. And he's just made it clear that any who have rejected him They've rejected the stone, the cornerstone of the temple. They they have rejected Jesus and they're being put under his feet. And the Bible has been saying that from way back in the Old Testament. The Old Testament has been saying that. David himself declared that. Yahweh said to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And he's saying it in the temple. And we know that resurrection is a theme. And so we have all these kind of, these facets of this coming together as we close today's section of text where now we see that people ought to be giving themselves to God. They ought to be giving themselves in particular to Jesus, to his lordship as king, as the son of God. But if they're going to do that, it's going to require death. It's going to require giving up of ourselves entirely. Not like the scribes who like to walk around, verse 38, 39, 40, like to walk around with long flowing robes and have the best seats and the, you know, and the the, the best places and all that. It's not going to look like that. It's going to look more like this widow at the end of the chapter who offers up all that she has to live on. But why would we do that? Why, Why would we give up all that we have to render to God the things that are God's by coming to him in the name of Jesus Christ and building on the truth, being built onto the true temple, the, the, the cornerstone. We can't do that unless we understand that there's going to be resurrection. 
And that's why that's at the heart of today's passage, this resurrection scene here with the Sadducees. This, this idea that there will be a resurrection, that the scriptures and the power of God coalesce there with this theme of resurrection. And Jesus is denouncing the old temple system in order to build a resurrected temple himself and his people who serve him to the point of pain because there's going to be a resurrection. I wonder if you've considered that. Today, as you go about your day, let's dwell on that reality that we can give our lives in full devotion to Jesus. We can render to God the things that are God's. We can pay our taxes to Caesar and that's nothing of all that God calls us to give to him. Our very lives, everything we have, we can give it to the true King Jesus because there's resurrection in store. Because we're not giving our lives away for no purpose to no end. We're giving our lives away in service to the God who raises the dead. Let's believe that today. Let's ask the Lord to help us to believe that, to not be like the Sadducees, but to be like the kind of people that God would have us to be. He's been testifying to this reality since way back in the Old Testament. And let's ask him to testify to it in our hearts evermore into the future. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us this word from Mark chapter 12. Thank you that Jesus is the resurrection that he speaks of in today's passage. Thank you that he has come to build a new temple with himself as its foundation, as the cornerstone, and and that gets to include us. We get to be included in that, Lord. We pray that you would engraft us into this building and and bring us in, Lord, as your people, as we store up uh, Jesus's words in our heart, Lord. Uh, We ask that we would be people that give our lives away because we know that Jesus is the resurrected King. In Mark chapter 12, he wasn't yet, but now, after Mark chapter 16 has been authored, um, we know that he is the resurrected King, Lord. He is the one uh, who is reigning, and he he can enable us to give our lives to him for his glory, for our good, for our blessing, for our edification being built up in him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm glad that you joined us today for this look at Mark chapter 12. I hope you'll be back with us again tomorrow as we go back to 1 Samuel and that you'll have a blessed day knowing that Jesus is the raised Lord and that as we give to him our lives, as we give to God what is God's, uh, we will be blessed for it and will be raised with his son one day, physically built into that temple permanently. Be well, brothers and sisters. God bless. Mm -hmm.